The following message is brought to you by Berean Bible Church and may be used and distributed free of charge. For more free audio, video, and text resources, be sure to visit www.bereanbiblechurch.org. Thank you. Appreciate you, Brains, being here this morning. Now, as you know, our normal practice is to teach through the Bible verse by verse. But occasionally, something happens in our culture that I feel I need to address. Today is one of those days. Our country is in the midst of a panic-demic. Okay? The coronavirus is causing widespread panic and hysteria. I mean, people are losing their minds. It's just... You know, and for the life of me, I'll never understand why everybody's out of toilet paper. This is not an intestinal virus, you know, but for some reason, everybody is buying up all the toilet paper. And I'm thinking to myself, if you don't have food, that toilet paper is not going to be needed, okay? <laughs> so you might want to grab some food instead of just toilet paper. I, I Okay. So what do we do? How do we respond to all we see going on? Well, first and foremost, we need to keep in mind, I think, what we were told in the book of Revelation. That's why I want to use this text to kick off this message in Revelation 19. It says, And from the throne came a voice saying, Praise our God and all you His servants, you who fear Him, small and great. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters, like the sound of mighty peals of thunder crying out, Hallelujah! For the Lord our God Almighty reigns. Can you say Amen? He is reigning. The word Hallelujah is an exclamation of praise. It recurs frequently in the book of Psalms, meaning praise Yahweh. This is a praise to God because of the fact that He is ruling. It is... And, and I have to ask you this morning, is that a fact in your life? Is that a reality in your life? Do you realize, yeah, God's on the throne, He's ruling, things are not out of control. And then I'd have to ask you this, do you live as He's reigning? Does it affect your practical day-to-day life? Let me share with you an experience that I had, I guess over 40 years ago now, that the Lord has really used in my life. When I was in Bible college, I had a professor that I grew to love dearly. When I first met him, uh, I was registering for class. Kathy was with me, and I remember we left, and I told her, I said, boy, I hope I don't have that guy for any classes. I mean, he was just odd, a little weird, you know. Well, you guessed it. I had him for a class, my systematic theology class. And I didn't send under his teaching very long before I grew to greatly admire him. He had a PhD in Bible, and he knew his Bible better than anybody I have ever seen in my life. I mean, we'd come together for class, and he'd get up front, and he'd sit on the edge of his desk, and he'd point to somebody, and he'd say, give me a, a sentence from Scripture anywhere. And so someone would open their Bible and read a Scripture, just you know, a sentence, And he'd tell you exactly where it was, chapter and verse. And then he'd call on somebody else. And I'm just sitting there, my jaws. The first time he did it, I'm like, what the heck is this? Are these guys plants? You know, I mean, and then I, you know, called out a few. I mean, he just, and I was like, I was in awe. 
I mean, you know, you're at Bible school trying to learn the Bible, and here's a guy that seems to really have spent some time in this book. And I sat under his teaching for several years, and I learned a lot from him. And then something happened that really confused, disappointed me. The college had decided to close because of financial. The churches in the area were not supporting it at all. And as he told us about the closing of the college, I sensed a real fear and anxiety from him about his future. He was worried about the sale of his house. He was worried about you know, finding a new job. And I could not understand how such a man of God was so shaken by his circumstances. I mean, I'm sitting there thinking, you know the Bible better than anybody. You know, I wondered if he really believed the things he'd been teaching us, the things he knew so well. Did he, did he know them? Did he understand them? Well, then about, I guess, 20 years later, I had an experience that really rocked my world. And I found out asking myself some, some questions on my own. You know, do I really believe? what I've been teaching about the sovereignty of God. So, I found myself going over in my mind what I believed about God, and my countenance was really refreshed. My perspective changed, and as I reviewed my theology, I asked myself the same question that David asked himself in the Psalms, why so downcast, O my soul? Put your hope in God. And after reviewing my theology, particularly the doctrine of God's sovereignty, I found myself saying, hallelujah, The Lord God Almighty reigns. Hopefully, our study this morning will just be a reminder that we all need of the fact that God is in control. The big things, the little things, all things. He's in control. So we have to ask, how well do we know our God? And I don't mean just know about Him, but I mean how well do we know Him? The highest science the loftiest speculation, the mightiest philosophy which ever could engage the intention of a child of God is the name, the nature, the person and work and the doings and the existence of the great God who He calls Father. And what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Because worship is going to be pure or base as the worshiper entertains high or low thoughts of God. No subject of contemplation will tend more to humble the mind than the thoughts of God. Thus preparing us to worship God who resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. And knowing God is not just a matter of theology. It's crucially important for how we live our daily lives. Because all conscious behavior is preceded by and arises out of our thoughts. And the Bible teaches us that God is sovereign. And I don't think you'll find a Christian who would argue with that until you try to define it. Okay? Because some people say, well, God runs the big things, the little things, He leaves that to us. Okay. Well, by sovereign, we mean that God possesses and exercises supreme authority and control in all creation. Over everything. All right? Modern political science and modern religion hold to a theory that sovereignty resides in the individual. So we need to be very careful. We need to guard our thinking. Left to ourselves, we tend to immediately reduce God to manageable terms. We want to get God where we can use Him. We want a God we can in some measure control. The control of God seems to be a 
underlying theme of the positive confession movement. If you listen to some of these guys and some of the things they say, it is crazy. Kenneth Copeland, who's one of the, you know, up there in this whole crazy movement, said this, you don't have a God living in you, you are one. Ruth Carter Stapleton, who studied under Agnes Sanford, says, God is wholeness, and you are God. In you, He lives and moves and has His being. That sounds a little backwards, doesn't it? Kenneth Copeland also said, We have all the capabilities of God. We have His faith. Really, Kenneth? Well, go out and create a world. Let's see that happen. How's that working out for you? Obviously, this teaching is very popular because he's one of the richest men, you know, one of the richest preachers. They have a wrong view of God. He is not sufficient in himself. That's their view of God. He's not sufficient, but he can only do what he does by using the universal faith force in obedience to certain cosmic laws. Their God is not the God of the Bible. We could, I think, characterize them the way Pink summed it up this way. The God of the modern religious thought no more resembles the supreme sovereign of the Bible than does the dim flickering of a candle resemble the glory of the noonday sun. When we say that God is sovereign, we're saying that God has the absolute right to rule and reign over everything. 1 Chronicles 29, 11-13 says, Yours, O Yahweh, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. For all that is in the heavens and in the earth is Yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Yahweh, and You are exalted as head above all. Both riches and honor come from You. You rule over all. In Your hand are power and might. In Your hand it is to make great, to give strength to all, And now we thank You, our God, and praise Your glorious name. Psalm 47, 7-8 For God is the King of all earth. Sing praises with the psalm. God reigns over the nations. He sits on the holy throne. Isaiah 46, 9-11 Remember the former things of old. For I am God, and there is no other. I am God, there is none like Me. Declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand, I will accomplish all my purpose. So when God makes a purpose, He carries it out. Nothing gets in His way, nothing hinders it. He goes on, The man of my counsel from a far country, I have spoken and I will bring it to pass. I have purpose, I will do it. God purposes He carries out His purpose. This is one of my favorite verses in the Bible. Our God, believers, okay, this is believers, our God is in the heavens. He does all He pleases. Some translations say He does whatever He pleases. Yes, He does whatever He does all He pleases. Whatever God pleases, He does. That's because He's God. We can't say that. People, we have to understand that God calls all the shots. He rules over all. Why is that? It's because He's God. And God defends His sovereignty on the basis of creation in the book of Job. It was read this morning. Now, I wanted that whole passage read because I want to talk to you about this. If you were to come home and find that your house had burned to the ground and you had no insurance, all your belongings are in there, how do you respond? 
Do you fall down on your knees and worship? Would you question God? What if one of your children died? What if all your children died? Would you question God? What if you became ill and could no longer work and you had no insurance? Would you question God? What if you lost everything in a cataclysmic moment? Everything, your job, your cars, your house, your savings, your children. How do you respond? Well, in the book of Job, we got a story about a real man who lost it all. And notice how he responded. Now, Jeff read this morning all the things that happened to him. One after another, the, as soon as one messenger came, the next messenger was right behind it. Hey, not only that, this happened. Not only that, you lost all your, all your livestock's gone. Your children, they're all dead. Everything's gone. And it says, Job arose, he tore his robe, he shaved his head. Those are expressions of grief. Okay? He fell on the ground and he worshipped. Hmm. And he said, Naked I came forth from my mother's womb. That's true. Naked, I'll return. Yahweh gave. Yahweh has taken away. Blessed be the name of Yahweh. Not cursed, but blessed. In all this, Job did not sin or charge God with wrong. Now notice that Job didn't view Yahweh as passive. He didn't say, Yahweh allowed this to happen. Or Yahweh allowed Satan to do this to me. He said, Yahweh has taken away. He just attributed everything that happened to Yahweh. He viewed all this from the hand of God. And his response is to worship. In the midst of all this calamity. This is not how we usually respond to things we don't like. It's not with worship. It's with complaining. It's with griping. It's with whatever. I'm not happy with what God's doing. Job 2.10. He's talking to his wife. He said to her, You speak as one of the foolish women speak. Shall we receive good from God? And shall we not receive evil? And all this, Job didn't sin. You know, we think God is good when He does what we think He should do, right? you got a plan and it works out. You're like, God is good. How many times do we say that when our worlds fall apart? God is good. Even when he brings, look at, he says, shall we not receive evil? That word evil is the word ra in Hebrew. You know what ra means? Evil. That's what it means. Exactly. Most translations do not translate it as evil. They stay away from that word. They'll translate it calamity. They'll translate it some other things. It means evil. And if you look it up and you look at its usage through the Hebrew Bible, that's what it means, evil. Job's response, to me, is nothing short of amazing. I mean, how would you do in his sandals? I wouldn't want to be in his sandals. As the trial went on, though, it began to wear on Job. I think part of his problem was his friends, okay? And he begins to question God. In Job 10.2, he says, I will say to God, do not condemn me. Let me know why you contend against me. In other words, he's saying, God, I need some answers from you. What's, what's going on here? All right? 31.35, he says, Oh, that I had one to hear me. Here is my signature. Let the Almighty answer me. Oh, 
that I had the indictment written by my adversary. So Job is basically now saying, God, why? Why is this happening to me? Show me. I lost everything except my wife. Why? And he gets no answer. Just the arguments from his peers, which are really bad arguments, okay? In chapter 38, God speaks. And he doesn't answer Job's questions. He asks some questions of his own, okay? 38, 1 through 5. Then Yahweh answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Who is this ignoramus that's questioning me? Dress for action like a man. I will question you and you make it known to me. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me, since you know so much. This is sarcasm, people. I mean, he's, you know, tell me, you know everything. He goes on, who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Well, who stretched the line on it? Job has absolutely, you and I have absolutely no right to question God. He's God. Our response to whatever God does, whatever God says, is to bow and worship before Him. And in a series of questions on cosmology, oceanography, meteorology, and astronomy, God challenged Job's competence to judge His control of the world. And in 38.4 He says, Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. I mean, come on, Job. You've got to explain this to me. How do you, you know. Have you comprehended the expanse of the earth? Declare if you know all this. 40, 1-5 And Yahweh said to Job, Shall a fault finder contend with the Almighty? He who argues with God, let him answer it. Then Job answered Yahweh and said, Behold, I am of small account. What shall I answer you? I lay my hand on my mouth. I have spoken once. I will not answer twice, but I will not proceed no further. Now, in verse 6 of chapter 40, at the end of here, in the next verse, through 41-34, God focuses on two animals, Behemoth and Leviathan which I don't believe are real animals. People, it's amazing how the arguments go. This is that. This is a dinosaur. This is a, a crocodile. This, they're not real animals, people. Okay? He's not, they're chaos monsters. All right? That's what God is he's picturing, these chaos monsters. And the Bible uses all kinds of imagery to talk about spiritual forces of evil. Serpents, dragons, sea monsters, other creatures of chaos. And the Bible uses chaos monster imagery to depict God's power over chaos, over evil. And Yahweh shows Job that he could not even control these monsters, let alone over God's universe. So God, in effect, says, I created everything. I own everything. I control everything. Who are you to question me? And Job's response comes, Then Job answered Yahweh and said, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Who is it that hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore I have uttered what I did not understand. Things too wonderful for me, which I did not know, here I will speak. 
So no purpose of yours, he said, can be thwarted. God, whatever you plan, you carry out. No one can stop that. He says, I will question you and you make it known to me. I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. Therefore, I despise myself. I repent in dust and ashes. Job says, I understand that you're God and you're sovereign. Please forgive me. I was wrong for not recognizing your sovereign right to give and to take away. I hate myself. How could I ever question you? You know, Job is a pretty remarkable man. I mean, you know, you consider what he went through. You consider how this all played out. You wonder, how could this guy be so strong in the midst of all this? Well, I think the book of Job gives us a clue in 23.12. Look what it says. Job says, I have not departed from the commandment of his lips. I have treasured the words of his mouth more than my portion of food. I think Job's saying here, God's word is more important to me than the food I eat. Is that true in your case? How many meals have you missed this week? How many spiritual meals have you missed? See, we're, we're willing to miss the spiritual meals, but the physical meals, we've got to make sure we get them. Job learned of God's sovereignty. He created, he controls. And people, that's his right. Listen, if you can create, you can control. Okay? Until you can do that, and if you don't like the way God's doing things, just leave his world. Okay? Yeah, I know. You're kind of stuck here, right? Sovereignty is the exercise of his moral power, whereby it's lawful for him to do what he will with his own creation. Even, people, when we don't like it. Think about what the world would be like if God was not in control. What if there is nothing more than the natural laws to depend upon? Man is totally helpless against the elements. People are so dumb today that they think we, if they just, if they would just tax us more, we wouldn't have global warming. The, the climate would all be better. People, that's how arrogant we are to think that we are affecting this world by stupid little things we do. Man is totally helpless, okay? And he's not destroying this environment with what he has. It's just, no, i got to keep going here. Lamentations 3.22. The steadfast love of Yahweh never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. You know, keep that in mind. It is only because of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed. The Scriptures show us that God exercised sovereign rule over all the physical universe, over plants and animals, over creation, over the nations of the earth, over individuals. I want to just kind of run through this morning God's control over His universe because I want to encourage us and I want to strengthen us that in the midst of this coronavirus and in the midst of this hysteria and panic, God's ruling. Man, I look at things, you know, in the government and what's happening and what they're doing and I think, I'm so thankful you're in control, God. Because it just seems so out of whack, but I know His ways are not my ways. You know, so I just, that's the idea of trusting Him and what He is doing. God rules over the physical universe. We had a Bible study one time, and, and I brought this up, and a guy got so mad, he went berserk, you know, because of weather disasters. God's got nothing to do with that. And I'm like, well, according to the Bible, He rules everything, okay? 
Scripture tells us that he controls the sun, the wind, the rain, the hail, the snow, and the ice. He controls the heavenly bodies, the sun, the stars, the planets. They all obey his will. Look at Joshua 10, 12-14. At that time, Joshua spoke to Yahweh in the day when Yahweh gave the Ammonites over to the sons of Israel. And he said in the sight of Israel, Sun, stand still at Gibeon and moon in the valley of Ajalon. And the sun stood still and the moon stopped. You see anything wrong with that verse? Sun doesn't move, does it? Huh? Well, I think it does. Okay, that's... I'm geocentric. I think the earth is the center of the universe and the sun revolves around it. Okay? And gee, this Bible seems to line up with that idea. The sun stood still, the moon stopped, until the nation took vengeance on their enemies. Okay? God is controlling this battle. And it... Is it not written in the book of Jasser? The sun stopped in the midst of heaven and did not hurry to set for about a whole day. There has been no day like it before or since when Yahweh heeded the voice of man for Yahweh fought for Israel. Yahweh literally stopped the sun from moving so this battle could carry on. In another incident, we read of Korah. What happened with Korah and his rebellion against God? The earth opened up, swallowed them up, and then closed. Okay? Nadab and Abihu, got, uh, the sons of Aaron, what happened to them? Fire comes out of heaven and just pff, fries them. God uses beneficent elements as expressions of His goodness, and He uses destructive elements as instruments of His discipline and chastening. He is in control. So God rules over the physical universe. I mean, these storms that, you know, people think, ah, oh, this, you know, we're making the storms worse because we, you know, come on. God's controlling things. He really is. Not only that, but God rules over the plant and animal creation. The scripture says that God causes the grass to grow. In the book of Jonah, which is, I think, hysterical, we see God's control over a fish over a gourd, and over a worm. That's right, a worm, okay? And Yahweh appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. The word appointed there is the Hebrew word manah, and it means to allot or constitute officially, to appoint, to prepare. God prepared a fish for what? To swallow Jonah. God told Jonah, go to Nineveh. Jonah said, nope, going this way. God said, okay, I'll get you over there. So Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. And what's he doing in the belly of fish? He's praying. <laughs> God, okay, okay. So the fish takes him over and drops him off on the shore, spits him out on the shores you know, of Nineveh. Now, Jonah 4, 6, and 7 said, Now Yahweh, God, appointed a plant. Same word. Manah, he appointed, he ordains a plant, and made it come up over Jonah, that it might be shade over his head to save him from the discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. What's happening at this time in the story, you know? Jonah preached to Nineveh. What happened? They repented. And Jonah's mad. 
And this is what Jonah says. God, I knew you were loving. I knew you were a merciful God. That's why I didn't want to come here. I knew you'd save these Ninevites. He's mad. And so he's up on the hill sulking. And so God provides this plant to come over him and provide for him shade. And he's exceedingly glad because of the plant. He hopes the Ninevites would all die and burn, but he's happy about the plant. And when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm. Same thing. He appointed it. that attacked the plant. So it withered. <laughs> Again, same word here. Mana. To constitute officially, to appoint, to prepare. Listen. Have you ever heard, have you been to a church that did a soul winning course? Any of you ever been to a church that did soul winning? They tell you how to go out and win people to the Lord. They don't follow the book of Jonah at all. Okay? I mean, this guy's walking on the beach. He comes off the beach. He goes in and then he's bleached out from being in the whale. Fish's stomach for a couple of days. Got seaweed hanging off him. And he just goes, repent! And the whole place repent. He didn't follow any of the rules. He didn't, you know, make sure his breath was fresh. Uh, you know, go, go to all the right things. Say all the right things. He just says repent and the whole city turns to God. Because God is sovereign over salvation. And it's not about what tricks you use or how you do it or how you prepare. You know, we could get people to pray a prayer. You can do that. But <laughs> that prayer doesn't have a lot to do with salvation, okay? Unless they understand and believe the gospel, all right? So we see God's sovereignty over a fish as Peter fishes all night and catches nothing. And then what happens? The Lord tells him, cast your net on the other side, and he can't even pull it in. Or God tells his disciples, hey, go down in the first fish you catch, take the money out of its mouth. How many fishes have you caught that had money in their mouth? And go pay the temple tax. God had all the fish in the sea head to Peter's net. <laughs> he can't even pull it in. How about Balaam's ass speaking? You ever heard an ass speak? Well, don't answer that. <laughs> Let's not, let's exclude Congress, okay? <laughs> How about all the animals lining up to get in the boat before the flood? Do you think that Noah ran around catching these things? No, God sent them to him. How about God feeding Elijah by the brook Cherith? He tells him, you shall drink from the brook, and I have commanded the ravens to feed you there. God is telling these birds, go feed my servant. Alright? So he went and did according to the word of Yahweh. He went and lived by the brook Cherith, there at the east of Jordan. And the ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning, and bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the brook. You know what this tells us? This is the, this is the original bird feeder. <laughs> The birds are coming and bringing him food, meat, and bread. God moved his people out of captivity in Egypt by controlling water, insects, animals, disease, death. God sovereignly rules. He rules over the physical universe. He rules over the plant and animal creation. And he rules over the nations. This is seen so clearly in the book of Daniel. In the face of the might and splendor of the Babylonian Empire, which had swallowed up Palestine, 
and the prospect of further great world empires to follow, dwarfing Israel by every standard of human calculation, the book as a whole forms a dramatic reminder that the God of Israel is King of kings and Lord of lords. That God's hand is on history at every point, and history is indeed no more than His story. God is controlling everything, people. The central truth taught all through the book of Daniel is that the most high rules in the kingdom of men and gives it to whomsoever He will. We see in, in Daniel 1.9 that God brings Daniel in favor with the prince of the eunuchs. God gives him favor. These people like him. You know, the Bible says in Proverbs, when a man's ways please the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. So don't worry about making peace with the enemy. Just worry about pleasing the Lord. God takes care of all that. He brings them in favor with the prince of the eunuchs. And they're like, okay, you don't want to eat our food? We'll let you do your own thing. And it ended up working out better for him. In chapter 2, God controls dreams, and He removes, and He sets up kings. 2.21 He changes times and seasons. He removes kings, and He sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise, and knowledge to those who have understanding. <laughs> this verse is important to me because... The day that Clinton was elected president, I was downcast, okay? I mean, I got the paper off the front porch and it says Clinton, and I'm just like, and Lindsay, I don't know how old she was then, but she was young. And she says to me, Dad, Daniel says he removes and sets up kings. And I'm like, oh, the mouse of babes, you know? That's exactly true. He removes them. He sets them up. God is sovereign over that. You know, people freak out when you know people say, well, Trump is there appointed to the Lord. That's biblical, people. God put him there. Just like He put Obama there before Him. He put him there. And I think He's grace to our country. That's my opinion, okay? In chapter 3, we see God controlling fire. It has no effect on the servants. They throw these guys in the fire. They heat it so hot that the people that throw them in burn up. And they're walking around inside talking. And He's like, what is happening here? In chapter 4, we see God controlling men's thinking. Let, this, let his mind be changed from a man's and let a beast's mind be given to him. And let seven periods of time pass over. Changes his mind and he becomes like an animal. In chapter 5, God sets up and removes kings. In chapter 6, he controls the lions. Daniel knew God was sovereign. His theology kept him strong in the midst of the troubled circumstances. God was in control, and he's in that lion's den, and he probably grabbed a big one and said, come over here, let me use you as a pillow, and he just laid down and rested all night. And Daniel gets a good night's sleep, but in the palace, the king is a wreck, because he doesn't understand the sovereignty of God. And he comes in the morning hoping that everything's fine, and it is. And you're like, well, these lions weren't hungry. Well, they took all the enemies and threw them in there, and said the lions pounced on them and busted their bones and ate them up, okay? God sovereignly rules over Physical universe. He rules over the plant and animal. He rules over the nations. God rules over all the areas of each man's existence. You know, God is sovereign over the birth of man. Do you realize that? The Bible says this a bunch of times. 1 Samuel 1.5 But to Hannah he gave a double portion because he loved her, though Yahweh had closed her womb. How come Hannah couldn't have babies? Well, Yahweh closed her womb. Genesis 20.18 
For Yahweh has closed the wombs of the house of Abimelech because of Sarah, Abraham's wife. God did that. That's what the Bible says. Genesis 32. Jacob's anger was kindled against Rachel. And he said, am I in the place of God who has withheld you from the fruit of the womb? She's mad at her husband. He goes, why are you blaming me? That's God's thing. God is not only sovereign over our birth. He's sovereign over our career. He's sovereign over our death as well. And He provides for all of our needs. He's the one that takes care of us. Let's look at this passage. This is Matthew 6, 25-33. And just, you know, it's something we need to just pause and contemplate for a minute. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious. Do we need to hear that? Don't be anxious about your life, what you'll eat, what you'll drink, about your body. Those are things we get anxious about, aren't they? What you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. He doesn't say, you know, they find their food somehow. No, he says God feeds them. And then he asks you, are you not more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to a span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothed the grass of the field, which today is alive, and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will He not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious. He keeps saying that in this passage. Don't be anxious saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. Seek first, the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Now, strictly speaking, the Greek word basileia here, kingdom, has reference to sovereignty rather than territory. It's to dominion rather than a geographical sphere. The kingdom of God signifies the rule of God. And to seek His kingdom is to come under His kingship, to live in subjection to Him as king. Now notice the end of the verse. All these things will be added to you. What things? The things that the Gentiles seek and strive for. The Lord is telling us not to worry about the things. Just walk in obedience to Him and He'll provide. We don't need to strive for material things. He says all these things will be added to you. There is reward for those who walk in faith. He's going to provide needs. Now, He's not saying He's going to provide greeds but He will provide needs. We're not to be anxious about the necessity of life like the Gentiles are. We don't need to be in anxiety over our labors. We need to seek His kingdom first. That should be our goal. That's our driving factor. We're here to honor God. You know, it it really seems that few Christians today live at this spiritual level. First and foremost, I'm seeking the kingdom of God. Which is why I think there's so much anxiety and dissatisfaction in our lives. We're not putting the kingdom first. We're putting ourselves first. Like we're here to just have all our needs met and it's not about anything else. He rules over all the areas of man's existence. 
All right, now get this one, okay? God's sovereign rule is exhaustive. Like I said earlier, almost any Christian, I've never met a Christian that wouldn't agree that God's sovereign, but when you try to define it, that's where you get in trouble. Oh, no, no, God doesn't do that. Listen, God's sovereign rule includes the germ as well as the galaxies. It includes the fly as well as the pharaoh. It includes the mosquito as well as the monarch. You know, a mosquito bites the wrong person, they get malaria and they die, and God's like, oh, man, I didn't know. I should have done something with that mosquito. God, okay, hang on with me, okay? God determines who lands on Park Place. All right, let me show you this, okay? Some of you are familiar with this poem. For want of a nail... The shoe was lost. For want of a shoe, the horse was lost. For want of a horse, the rider was lost. For want of a rider, the battle was lost. For want of a battle, the war was lost. So if God doesn't control the nails, then wars can't be controlled. Because it can be the little things. Now R.C. Sproul in his book, The Sovereignty of God, said one of his childhood heroes was a race car driver, Bill Vukovic, he was killed in the Indianapolis 500 when he was going around a turn. His car lost control because a 10-cent cotter pin broke. 10-cent cotter pin, and he's gone. So if God doesn't control the little things, how does he control the big things? James says, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or do that. Our lives are under God's sovereign control. God determines the president's personal plans. Proverbs 21.1 The king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of Yahweh. He turns it wherever he will. Okay, that's true for the king. How about anybody else? Is it just the king's heart the Lord controls? Let me tell you, to me, a great scripture. Exodus 34.24 God told the children of Israel, three times a year you go up to worship me. And don't worry when you're gone, because nobody will want your stuff. What? Don't worry about it. You know, you're leaving everything. You're going off. They didn't have cameras. They didn't have any security stuff. You know, they're just leaving it. And they're going to another country to worship. And what about all our stuff here? God said, no one will want it. How could God say that? Because He controls the want. Okay? God said, your stuff's safe. Don't even worry about it. So it's not just the king whose heart He controls. God determines the numbers that come up when the dice are thrown. Proverbs 16.33 The lot is cast into the lap, but every decision is from Yahweh. Think about this, people. The fulfillment of any one prophecy requires the control of the whole universe. Lest something prevent its occurrence. Like I said, God prophesied I'm going to use this person in, you know, to do this great thing. Okay, let's say Noah. We got Noah, all right? Well, a mosquito with malaria bites Noah, and now he's, God's like, oh, I got to find somebody else. No. No, he doesn't have to find somebody else, okay? Because he's in control. Judas and Pontius Pilate had to be born in a certain century. And therefore, their parents had to marry at a given time. 
And for this and many other conditions had to be carried out, and these conditions depended upon even more remote events. Believers, please understand this. The omnipotent God who reigns, this is, this is the best part, okay? Uh, hopefully you understand God reigns. God's in control of everything. Here's the awesome part about this. The God who reigns cares for us. 1 Peter 5.7 Cast all your anxiety upon Him. Why? He cares for you. Well, that's pretty cool to know that somebody who controls every event in time and circumstances cares about me. He cares about us. That ought to give us great comfort and peace. God provides for us. He takes care of us. He knows what we need and He gives us what we need. Romans 8.28 I know you know this. We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to His purpose. This could not be true if God wasn't controlling everything. He protects, He provides, He sustains His people through natural and supernatural means. Let's look at some of God's con- uh, control just through the book of Acts. Uh, this is pretty cool. The, the evangelistic es- efforts of the church are going on, and we just see God's hand in so many wa- ways through this. And, that, and people, I don't think God has changed. All right, I'm doing this for these people, but you guys are on your own. No. God is still in control. So Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. Now, they're praying for him, but they're not believing anything. God's going to do anything, right? Because you know the story. He shows up at their gate, and it must be his ghost, okay? No, you prayed for that. Here he is. Now, when Herod was about to bring him out on that very night, he's about to bring him out to kill him, all right? On that very night, Peter's sleeping between two soldiers. He's in prison, going to be executed, and he's just asleep. He's bound with two chains, and sentries before the door are guarding the prison. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood next to him, and a light shone in the cell, and he struck Peter on the side. Get up! Get up quickly! And Peter got up, and the chains fell off. They just fall off his hands. Oh, they must not have put them on right, right? Drop down to verse 10. The angel's taking him out. He said, when we had passed the first and the second guard, they came to an iron gate leading to the city. It opened for them of its own accord. They didn't have automatic gates back then. Okay? He didn't have a remote to open this. This is God. Just You're free. Go on. Get out of here. And they went out and went along one street, and immediately the angel left him, and Peter came to himself, and he said, Now I am sure that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all the Jewish people were expecting. How could Peter get a good night's sleep when he's going to be killed the next day? Well, he knew and he trusted God's sovereignty. Well, did he not think, did he think he was free from being killed the next day? Did he have any reason to think he wouldn't be killed the next day? He actually did because the Lord told him, you're going to be old. You're going to be old. Look at what the Lord told him in John. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted, but when you're old, you'll stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you don't want to go. This he said to show what kind of death to glorify God. So you're going to get old, we're going to get, you're going to be taken somewhere you don't want to go. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. So he knew and he obviously believed the Lord, so he's just chilling. Here are some examples of God's providential care. But Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, 
And having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing he's dead. But when the disciples gathered about him, he rose up and entered the city. And on the next day, he went on with Barnabas to Derby. There's something supernatural going on here. Uh, supposing he's dead means to suppose something that's not true. So he wasn't dead. It's not a resurrection. But you ever been stoned? Not that way. Okay, I'm talking about rocks. So, all right. <laughs> they didn't, you know, they didn't go in the driveway and pick up these little little stones, you know, and throw them at you. They they would put you in a lower elevation. They pick up rocks that would. The idea was to crush the life out of you with one thing. So they they stoned Paul. And the next day he's up and he goes back into the city. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. They'd just been whipped. They're in the stocks. They're not moaning and groaning. They're singing. And the prisoners were listening to them. Now, what do you think the prisoners thought? Man, these guys just got whipped. They're in the stocks. And here they are. They're just singing away. They're just praising their God. And suddenly, there's a great earthquake. So the foundations of the prison were shaken. Immediately, the doors were opened and everyone's bonds were unfastened. Boy, they just all of a sudden, they're all free. The rest of the... Now, this is interesting. This story, this is a shipwreck, okay? Paul's on his way to Rome to stand trial. He gets in a shipwreck. Now, remember what we talked about last week? Paul told them that God had... Listen, people, God, God met with me and He told me, unless you stay on the ship, you cannot be saved, okay? Saved from drowning, all right? So the ship wrecks, and it says, the rest on planks are on pieces of ship, and so was that all were brought safely to the land. They all made it to land, just like God said, you're going to be safe. So they're grabbing on these different planks, and they're just floating to the shore, and everything is okay. Acts 28, 3-5. When Paul had gathered a bunch of sticks when they got to the land, Paul gathering sticks, put them on the fire. You know, Paul's not some high... Uh, priority preacher who's sitting around saying, all you peons, take care of stuff for me. I'm a preacher. I'm going to sit here and watch you all serve me. He's out there gathering sticks, throws them on the fire. A viper comes out because of the heat and fastens on his hand. And all they're saying, oh, he must have been, you know, God saved him here, but he must have been a murderer because now he's going to die. Verse 5 says, he, however, shook off the creature in the fire and suffered no harm. Nothing happened to him. Why? God's sovereign over that. That snake didn't do a thing, didn't hurt didn't harm him a bit. He just shook it off. People, our God is in control of everything. He controls disease. Listen to me. You can gargle with Listerine every day. You can take all the vitamins you want. The bottom line is God's sovereign over germs. Now, listen, I'm not saying we shouldn't try to take care of ourselves. Because I believe that God uses means to accomplish His ends. So we have to be, we have to use our brains. So I think we should do all we can but listen, you do it without anxiety. You do it trusting God. Okay? I believe He uses means to accomplish His sins. In 2 Chronicles 26, He smote Uzziah with leprosy. Acts 12, He smote King Herod with worms and He died. He controls all this stuff. He controls battles. You remember the battle that Gideon fought with the judges? His army was 300 strong and they had some serious weapons though. They had pitchers and torches and trumpets. They said, smash the trumpets. I mean, smash the pitchers and blow your trumpets. And all the enemy starts killing themselves. Jehoshaphat goes to battle in 2 Chronicles. He puts the singers out front. But all the musicians out front. The musicians are like, oh, we don't like this strategy. Kevin, you're out front with your saxophone. Okay, we're going to battle. 
Let's put Kevin in the front. Play your horn. What happened? They march up and the enemy all kills themselves and they get there and they just take the spoil. That's how God fights battles for you, okay? Listen, God determines the time and the circumstance of our death. 2 Timothy 4, 6-8. through I think you get the picture, right? He's absolutely sovereign over the universe. And the sovereignty of God is the ground of peace and confidence for all His people. They rejoice that the Lord God omnipotent reigns. Neither chance nor the malice of men will ever alter the course of our life that God has planned for us. Now, I don't think we have trouble believing the biblical accounts. Yet we seem to doubt God's control in our everyday lives. Yes, we think, you know, God protected, He preserved, He cared for His saints. I'm not sure He's going to help me through this. He's in control, people. He wants you to trust Him, rest in His care. Because it sounds kind of ridiculous to think, yeah, God controlled all this stuff in the Bible, but now He just doesn't, he's, we're on our own. No, we're not. God is sovereign. He controls everything. And listen, He loves us. We're His children. He loves us. We're going to go through things we don't really want to go through. But His hand's on it. He's got us going through it because that's what He wants. I mean, what more could we ask for? If we worry or fret, it's only because, as Martin Luther said to his opponent Erasmus, your thoughts of God are too human. That is one of our biggest flaws, people. Our thoughts of God are too human. And I pray that we would see God for who He is. Sovereign over every event. And we learn to trust Him for everything. Because we serve a mighty God. We just need to rest in His care. Now, our, our culture is in absolute panic and hysteria right now. My personal view on it, it's ridiculous. Not worried one bit about a virus. I'm worried about the crazy people out there, okay, because of this. All right? God is in control. You know, if you look back over history, we've had pandemics over and over. We've had, you know, diseases that wiped out half the population at times. Okay? God is in control. So, you know, use wisdom. Don't freak out. Trust God. If it's your time to go, you're going. I don't care what you do. Okay? No matter where you are or what you're doing, if it's your time, it's your time. And if it's not your time, you're not going. I don't care. I was in a plane crash. Okay? It wasn't my time. Not too many people have been in plane crashes. Okay? I had Guillain-Barre syndrome. People died from that. I'm still alive. It wasn't my time. But when it is time, I'll probably fall down the stairs or something and be dead. You know? Okay? <laughs> but that's it. It's in God's hands, people. And we need to learn to just rest in that. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the truth of your sovereignty. Lord, to me, it's one of the most comforting reassuring doctrines of all. I know from the Word of God that You love me. You love Your children. You love the saints. And I know that You are absolutely in control of everything that happens to them, good and bad. Help us to trust You, Lord, to just rest in Your sovereign care and rejoice that the Lord God omnipotent reigns. Amen. All right. Questions? Comments?
like I said, this is not a subject that's really contested unless you get too serious about it. You know, I mean, you get to the minor details, and then it's like, well, you can't have God doing all that stuff, you know? Now, I was, beginning of this week, I was working on the message in 1 John, kind of excited to get into chapter 5, especially John, 1 John 5, 1. Read that over this week, and we're going to deal with that next week. Um, just kind of focus on what he's saying in that, just that first verse. And uh, that's, we're going to focus on half the verse, okay, next week. <laughs> And uh, Cheryl. It's not a question, but on Wednesdays, you know, I meet with the Baptists. So this lady that's in the class, <clears throat> lately she's like talking about God's sovereignty. She's like, she thinks it's just the hair, you know, and you have to get it. But last week, something really cool happened. Like, I was so excited. She goes, do you know in Romans chapter 4, we have Christ's righteousness and we're not under the law? Like, she was amazed. And I was like, she's studying Romans. So she's in big trouble. <laughs> I just think it's cool that the word of God. I didn't, we didn't have to say anything. It was we kind of listened to her and just let her talk. And, we're like, and that's why people, we need to do all we can to encourage people to be in the word of God. When she saw it, she was amazed. That's I mean, God, God's spirit opens our mind to the word, but you have to be in the word. We have to read it. We have to spend time in it so he can speak to us. But he is sovereign and he uses the word of God. Dora. So in reading Job then, am I supposed to be reading that with the idea that Job is arguing with God? I didn't quite pick that up. Well, not in the beginning. Later on, yes. Later on, Job starts to question. He's like, why, God, answer me, help me, you know. I mean, he's getting weary, okay? He's been through a lot. I mean, most of us would have been arguing in the very first incident, you know. But he, he knows God's in control, but it's weighing on him. And so he starts to, uh, he starts to question and argue. And it's interesting, you know, again, I've heard so many preachers say Job was out of line doing this and saying this, and I'm like, several times, you know, this guy, this man was uprighteous, and you get to the very end of the book, he tells the Job's comforters, you have not spoken of me that which is right as my servant Job has. God upholds Job through the whole thing. But he has to, he has to straighten him out a little bit, because he's got a little... He was wrestling with himself. Yeah, he, he believed, but then he was... Kind he was definitely, you know, and he started questioning, hey, God, you know, why come I can't get an answer? Why don't you talk to me? Tell me what you're doing. Yeah. Why? God doesn't do that. He doesn't tell us why. You know? Anthony? So, but then, soon after, I mean, during that time, so he actually wanted Job to pray because some of his friends would put stuff, sacrificial stuff, and he, God wanted to use Job to pray at the altar. Some that, that oh, he was trying to get Job just to trust him and see that, you know, I'm in control. I don't care what happens. His friends were all saying, well, you must have done something wrong. Okay, you must have done something. You must have not be taking care of the widows. You must be doing... They're all, you know, saying God doesn't, you know, you don't get this if you don't do something wrong. And that's our health, wealth, gospel. You do right, God gives you all the money. If you don't have it, you're doing something wrong. He's just trying to... Here's an upright man, did nothing wrong. God was just demonstrating his... Power is sovereignty. Mm 